Yeah, God's been speaking to me the last few weeks around the idea of sonship, and um, I was saying to the guys at ATM as well, it's amazing. Do you ever think, like, how a preacher gets a message? Like, how do you, how often look at Mark and Dill or Tess preaching and think, like, where did that come from? <laughs> like, how do you find it? Anyway, it's fascinating how, fascinating how God speaks. He speaks in so many different ways, yet with such clarity. And uh, He speaks to me, I don't know how He speaks to you, but He speaks to me in three ways, through His Word, through pictures, and through moments. A couple of weeks ago, I was spending some time with God, and I was reading the book of Matthew. I've got some default scriptures that I go to. Sometimes I open the Bible, and uh, I'm going, oh, gosh, what do I read here? And uh, my default's the parables. I love stories, and I think they're quite simple. And uh, the word parable actually comes from two words, para, which is a truth, and belay, which is to throw. And what Jesus would do, he would throw out a story alongside the truth. So I love those stories because he always, there's, it's always a great story, but there's always such an incredible underlying meaning. So Matthew 22, there are uh, some Sadducees uh, that uh, are questioning him around some truths. So they say, that same day, the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him with a question. And they said, teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having any children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up the offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among them. The first one married and died. Since they had no children, he left his wife to his brother. Same thing happened to the second and third brother, right down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. She was obviously a strong woman. <laughs> now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? And Jesus replied, you're in error, because you do not know the scriptures and the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. I started to ask myself a few questions around that parable. And uh, there were a few that stood out, but this was the first. The Sadducees, who were they? I've always thought the Pharisees and Sadducees were from the same sects of the Jewish nation, but they weren't. The Pharisees promoted the idea of priestly purity for all Jews, belief in providence and faith, and the concepts of the resurrection of the dead. They taught that beside the commandments. The Sadducees, the Sadducees were inclined to ignore all religious teaching except for the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Law of Moses. Since these books do not directly define the resurrection or afterlife, the Sadducees Sadducees, were able to hold their conviction about the lack of afterlife. The parable before this, uh, the Pharisees were questioning Jesus around finance. And they said, God, who, or they said to him, well, Jesus, who do we give our money to? And he said to one of them, simply bring me a coin. And they put a coin in his hand. He said, well, whose face is on this coin? He said, that's Caesar's. He said, well, it's very simple. You give Caesar to what is Caesar's and you give God to what, you give God what is God's. His replies left both the Pharisees and Sadducees amazed and astonished. How often do we find ourselves amazed and astonished by Jesus? The Word of God is not just scriptural. It's powerful. Next time you read a text, don't just read it for the text. Believe in its power. Jesus is more concerned about our posture on earth than our position in heaven. That's already been taken care of. We'll be like angels in heaven. He's more, more concerned about the living. Here and now, you and I. What really got me thinking, though, and what was what God spoke. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob. It's amazing how often that pops up in Scripture. So I thought, well, let me give it some thought. Abraham, first thing that comes to mind is, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. So when I ever, whenever I read the word Abraham in the Bible, I start to sing. So I jumped up to Google and thought, man, there must be so much more to Abraham. So I Googled it. It's the first thing that popped up. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the first sons of Israel. Second thing that came up, Abraham, the father of many nations. You see, Abraham was a son before he was a father. Abraham was a uh, I was like, that's, that's it. Abraham was a son. That's the revelation. That's what God's trying to show me. You see, everyone sees him as a father. We don't often see him as a son. The son that gave up his name for a nation. Israel. Abraham became Israel. Israel became a nation. Sound familiar? Jesus gave up his life for a world. See, God makes covenant with Abraham. His son Isaac carries the covenant or the promise through a generation. And Jacob, Isaac's son, sees the promise fulfilled because his uh, offspring become the 12 tribes of Israel. Did they have challenges? Absolutely. Did they have any qualifications? No. The only thing they held was their position as sons. A couple of weeks ago, Kath preached an amazing message. And uh, just after her message, not, not too many people would have seen it. But she walked down after she had preached. And I was standing next to James, who's now bigger and wider than me. So it was quite daunting. But as Kath walked down off the platform... Uh, she walked past James, and James literally threw his arms around his mom and gave her an incredibly big hug, an amazing embrace. And as he did that, I started to get quite emotional because I watched this physical picture of her mom uh, being embraced by her son. And after processing it a week or two afterwards, I thought to myself, wow, it's such an incredible picture of God coming down from a platform to find us on level ground and for us as sons to embrace God as he comes toward us. Stand out for me in her message was this idea that up to a certain age, you actually can't see around the corner. And uh, after the service, I grabbed James. I wanted to pray for him. I just felt stirred to, to pray for him that morning. And I grabbed him and couldn't believe the words that came out of my mouth. They were very simple. I said, you're an amazing son. Who you are is enough. You might not be able to see around the corner, but God can. What you carry is greater than your career. I'm not sure if you're a note taker or you write stuff down, but if you do have a piece of paper, what you carry is greater than your career. It's also a beautiful picture of the church. We need to remind each other regularly that we sons and daughters, before we moms and dads, business people, teachers, preachers, CEOs, sons and daughters of a living God. Ladies, so, sorry if I keep calling you sons. I'm using the word in the generic sense. I know um, the Bible calls you sons too. But uh, don't be too alarmed. The Bible calls men the bride of Christ. So <laughs> we're all in the same boat. There's no better picture in Scripture than the, uh, of sonship than in the story of the prodigal son. We're going to read a little portion together, and we're going to focus on the gifts that the father gives to his sons. These are gifts. These gifts are actually a perfect picture of what we carry. If you don't know the story of the prodigal son, it's about a man. A wealthy man, he had servants, and he had two sons. And the youngest son comes to him and says, Dad, I want my inheritance early. 
So his dad says, no problem, splits the inheritance, gives it to the younger son, and he goes off to a foreign land. He spends every cent, the land goes into a famine, and he finds himself working for someone else in a pig pen, serving the pigs and feeding them. We're going to pick the story up in verse 17. When he came to his senses, uh, when he realized he is an idiot, that's the direct translation from the Greek, he said, uh, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. He's sitting in a pig pen, realizing that his dad has servants, and even the servants have enough for their families and others. I'll set out to go back to my father, and I'll say to him, I love this, he's about to spin his dad a big story as to why his dad should take him in back home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, love that. His father stops him in his tracks, is not interested in the rest of his story, and turns to his servants and says, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine who was dead is now alive again. Who was lost is now found. So they began to celebrate. So the father gives his son these three gifts. A robe, a ring, and some sandals. Every gift the father gives him would not be given to a servant. He eliminated the idea that his son was going to come back into his house as a servant. He was coming back as a son. We sons by birthright not by behavior. The first gift the father gives him is a robe. The robe represents righteousness. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. What does righteousness mean? To be in right standing with God. Righteousness is a gift from God. It's a gift. It's not earned. This is my robe. Mark Slev was laughing at me. He said, you can't bring your gown to church. I said, well, it's not my gown, Mark. This is my robe of righteousness. I can't button it up, so there's going to be parts of me exposed. At home, it doesn't just cover everything. It covers my nakedness. We receive it as a gift. But we act like it's earned. And when we act like it's earned, it changes three things. The way we see ourselves, the way we see others, and the way we see God. You need to get this because it changes everything. When we see righteousness as an earned thing, we start behaving like servants. We serve or work our way to sonship. We start living with a performance mentality, and I get it. We live in a performance-based society. We taught performance from grade one, but the kingdom does not work on performance. It works on position. We are sons and daughters. Servants, we have to read the word. We have to serve. We have to give to earn our relationship with our Father. Sons, I want to spend time with my father. It's a privilege to serve others. 
I want to see the kingdom grow and expand so I can give financially my first fruits to God. We serve at a pace of a position of sonship. If we see the gifts of righteousness as servants, we work for it. When we see it as sons, we walk in it. Anyone resonate with verse 21? I'm no longer worthy to be your son. The goal is right living, but we don't always get it right. Well, I certainly don't. Maybe you've done a few things this week that have been helpful. Maybe last night you've done some things that no one knows about. And you walk into church this morning feeling unworthy. Next week, you have a great week. Five out of seven days devotionals. You don't argue with your spouse or your kids. You can't to your boss or to your employees. And you work, walk in here next week with uh, your chest back, your arms up, giving it the big one in worship, feeling worthy to be back in the house. Can I give you some good news? None of us are worthy, irrespective of what your week looked like. The father is on his porch, eagerly awaiting his sons and daughters to return home. Heard the story once of a man who was about to jump into the shower and uh, as he was about to climb into the shower, the doorbell rang downstairs and he was like, oh gosh, I wonder who that could be. So he grabbed his robe of righteousness, his gown, and uh, headed out the bathroom down the stairs and as he got to about the fifth stair from the end, he slipped and as he bounced down the stairs, his gown began to rise. By the time he got to the bottom of the stairs, it was under his arms, and all he thought was, man, I hope no one can see. And as he looked up, peering through his window was his neighbors, a family of four, wondering who was home. They saw everything. Don't you feel like that at times? We come to God. He gives us this free gift of righteousness, and yet we feel like everyone can see the things of the past, or God sees the things of the past. The robe of righteousness covers everything. Everything you've ever done in your past. From 20 years ago to two days ago. It covers all your nakedness, all your shame, all your guilt. Some of us have given our lives to Jesus years ago and we're still walking around with shame and guilt of our past. When we received the gift of righteousness, it covers everything. Shame and guilt are removed. It says in Romans 4 that righteousness was credited to Abraham, which means... Shame and guilt was debited from him. The same is true for us. It's gone. The ring of authority. The ring represents authority. I got a ring. It wasn't a gift. It's my wife's, so I've got to be gentle because if I lose it, I'll be in trouble. But the ring represents authority. Authority given by grace through faith. Two examples of the ring. The first one, Genesis 41, 41 and 42 Pharaoh also told Joseph, I'll place you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger, clothed, it, clothed him in garments of fine linen and placed the gold chain around his neck. He had Joseph ride in the second chariot with men calling out before him, bow the knee. So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was given authority by, by Pharaoh over all the land of Egypt and the signet ring that he gives him is the sign of the authority that he carries. Esther 8.8, 8, now you may write in the king's name as you please regarding the Jews and seal it with the royal signet ring for the decree that is written in the name of the king is sealed with the royal signet ring cannot be revoked. Romans 13.1, 
everyone must submit themselves submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except for that which comes from God the authority that exists have been the authorities that exist have been appointed by God God the father delegates authority so if God delegates authority who does he delegate it to Luke 9.1, then Jesus called the 12 together and gave them the power over all the demons. He gives them to the 12 disciples. Luke 10.1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to visit. So he gives authority to the 72. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus said, well, what do you think? No, he never. So he told them. He actually helped Elevation Church write a song. I saw Satan fall like lightning, and I saw darkness run for cover. But the miracle that I just can't get over, my name is registered in heaven. I'll keep going if you want. It's the only gap I get to be on the worship team is when I'm up here alone on the mic, because they won't let me, they won't even give me an audition. Anyway. Be kind, Dennis. So he told them, I saw Satan fall like nighting from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at the spirit that submits us but submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. At that time, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and declared, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learnt and revealed them to little children. That little children in that passage of scripture is not small children. It's men and women young in their faith. Whether you've been a believer for 45 years or 45 minutes, God has given you authority. He even sometimes hides things from the wise and keeps them from those who are young in their faith. God has given you authority. It's extremely important to mention, though, that God gives us authority in humility. The quickest way to lose your authority is pride. Why? Because it makes us a peer of God, and we don't fall under his authority. This Thursday, we actually had the most incredible meeting. Our staff team and uh, the prayer and prophetic team uh, got into a room together um, just to chat around the unfolding of the prophetic in our church. It's such a beautiful thing. God's doing an amazing thing through the prophetic team. And uh, there is a team of men and women under the authority of God hearing the voice and bringing it to us as a church. One of the standout statements uh, for me and for many were when you're bringing a prophetic word both to an individual or the church, you be you and let God be divine. God under, has given us authority the third gift he gives him is these sandals these are slightly more uh, modern than the sandals that the son would have got probably a bit more comfy too but these are my sandals there's two very practical things to sandals taking them off and putting them on biblically when you see someone taking off the sandals it means they're giving up their rights some standout examples of this is, but if the, uh, Deuteronomy 25, 7, if the man does not want to marry his brother's widow, she's to go to the elders of the city gate and say, my husband's brother re refuses to preserve his brother's name in Israel. He's not willing to 
to perform the duty of brother-in-law for me. Then the elders of the city shall summon him and speak with him. If he persists and says, I do not want to marry her. <laughs> do you ever stop and think what that conversation might have looked like in Scripture? I do not want to marry her. Why don't you want to marry her? Have you met her? <laughs> She's mean. And the lady is going, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful you don't want to marry me. You're ugly. <laughs> but anyway. His brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandals, spit in his face, and declare. So the lady gets some retribution. This is what was done to the man who will not maintain his brother's line. Basically, he gives up his rights. Remember the story of the burning bush? Moses' encounter with God. What's the first thing God says to Moses? Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Basically saying to Moses, if you want to have a chat to me, you need to lay down your rights. Same thing happens with Joshua in Joshua 5. They're about to go into the battle of Jericho. And he looks up and the commander of the Lord's army is standing in front of him with his sword drawn. And he says to him, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. He knew exactly who Joshua was. He was the commander of the Israelite army. But he was saying to him, if you want to serve in my army, you need to put down the rights of commander and follow me as the commander of the Lord's army. They went on to uh, conquer a huge amount of battles. And uh, the first one being Jericho and a whole lot more. The reality is they should never have won any of those battles anyway. One thing about taking your sandals off. Another thing about putting them on. Moses puts on his sandals and leads the people of Israel. The son receives his sandals back from his dad. The right to be a son in the house again. The right to the presence and the provision of a father. Do you know what he did to deserve any of it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's grace. The two parables before the story are the one of the lost sheep and the one of the lost coin. And it's amazing because the, the sheep goes out and finds his He's, he's lost sheep and brings them back to the flock and puts it in the flock. And he calls all his neighbors and says, guys, my sheep's back. Come and celebrate. And then the lady loses a coin and she searches a whole house, can't find it. Eventually sweeps up, finds the coin, puts it back in the collection and calls all her friends and says, please come celebrate. When the son comes home, the father calls all the servants, says, bring the fattened calf. We need to celebrate. That's why in church every week when we say, close your eyes and bow your heads, and someone responds to the gospel for the very first time, we celebrate. It's not just a cool idea. It's actually what we see in Scripture. The amazing thing about this story is it was never about the two sons. It was always about the father. The great theologian Spurgeon said it like this. He did not make us children because he needed sons. He had one. But because we needed a father. The difference between the prodigal son and the other two are simply this. The woman found the coin, the shepherd found the sheep, but the father waited on the porch. Why did he wait? Because his son was human, and he had a will. And he had to wait for the son to put down his rights, so that he could pick up the rights of sonship and come back home. Can we stand together this morning? Just as we're standing there, 
I felt God drop this into my spirit this week. Don't wait, walk. Don't wait, walk. I never told you a title of this message in the beginning because to be fair, I don't really have one. But if I had to call it anything, I'd call it Don't Wait, Walk. So many of us are waiting. Waiting for permission, waiting for titles, waiting for promotion, waiting for perfect conditions, waiting for finance. But you've been given righteousness, authority, and the rights to be sons and daughters. Walk into every room, the storeroom, the classroom, the boardroom, with the full confidence that you have the presence and the provision of God. What you carry is greater than your career. And yesterday afternoon, as I was wrapping up some thoughts around my message, I had a real ministry moment with God in my room. I just felt God speak to me and say, which one of these three gifts stand out to you? And for me, I think it's the robe of righteousness. I think there's moments I walk into church, I don't feel worthy to be here. I don't, be worthy, I don't feel worthy to be a part of the story. I don't feel worthy to be a son of God. And he told me it's gone. All the shame, all the guilt that you carry from the past is gone. And then he flipped it around. He said, why don't you ask my sons and daughters? Which one of those three spoke to them? Righteousness, authority, or rights to be sons and daughters? And then he said, give them time. So I'm just obedient, being obedient to God's voice this morning. And I'm going to say, we're going to... For two minutes, the band's going to play. I'd love you to close your eyes. Ask the Holy Spirit what He's saying to you this morning. And we're going to sing again.